podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to the Natcom Show on ESPN. Good to have you with us, gang. We are back for more. The Guardians, Ollie Connolly coming up shortly serious football brain looking forward to getting into some big off-season stories with ollie getting his perspective first things first though what do you think of the new branding gang brand new branding out there hope you've noticed it (laughs) still looking at your phone there's new branding yeah new artwork for the show we're rolling out new stuff on social media at the nc show Uh, shout out uh, to tom and the crew over on social let us know what you think uh, of it i hope you like it more importantly hope you enjoy the show ollie Connolly back for more looking forward to catching up with him and getting into all the big stories from the off season so let's get straight down to business ollie good to see you man welcome back to the show thanks for having me now first things first uh the for the benefit of our listeners because if you want to catch video of any of our shows you head on over to our social channels right you guys know that at the nc show facebook instagram twitter that's where we push out a video uh, for the benefit of those listening to the pod right now uh ollie has a guitar behind him on the mm. wall. Uh, are we going to we gonna get a number at some point before the end of the show? We'll see how frisky we get. Oh, frisky. I like that. I like that. What, to, what do you like to play on that? What Are you, are you, are you a rocker? Are you, do you a folk bit of Leonard Cohen? I play exclusively the Beatles. <laughs> only the Beatles? Only the Beatles. I it's love like it. um, in Step Brothers where the guy only plays like, was it mid-60s <laughs> Billy Joel? <laughs> I play only McCartney. <laughs> I love it. Great to see you, man. How's the off-season treating you all? Very well, very well. Digging into every book, basically, that is published uh, around the NFL the last two or three mm. years. And it's been a decent boom, I think, in, in NFL books. What's, your, what's on, your, on your reading list? Who, what can you recommend to our listeners? Uh, I'm currently doing Guts and Glory. That's an older mm. one, isn't it? I think it's Bob Glauber. That, that's very good. That intersects Bill Walsh, Bill Parcells, mm. uh, Joe Gibbs. That's very good. The Dynasty, which I just had staved off forever, um, which is, is Jeff Benedict, I think, did that one. He did the Tiger Woods book. Mm-hmm. Um, that's excellent very thematic that those are the, the two that i'm i'm getting stuck into at the moment love that too uh, hot tip we like we like good tips on the show we like hot takes you know what else we like on this show uh, winners and losers <laughs> and that's what we're going to look at we're going to look at the off season so far and get your perspective on certain teams that you think have done good business or looking in good shape and conversely those that you're worried about based on what has happened so far nobody why wins the super bowl in the off season they say <laughs> but i i think uh there might might be some uh, very good uh, examples to uh, jinx that rule. Why don't we start with a positive before, uh, aside from anything else, start. And I know you were chatting with producer Ollie and you had a number of teams that could fit into, into this category, but in terms of winners of the off season, I want to lead off with the charges because they're for me, a really intriguing team for, for pretty obvious reasons that there are thereabouts. And you like, the business that they've done, don't you? And particularly fixing one of the key issues last season, which makes a huge amount of sense given they've uh, come across and uh, unearthed a a franchise quarterback within the first four or five games of his NFL career. They fixed their offensive line and you like that. Yeah, that's probably the biggest on-field change they've had. I think the biggest thing for them as with anyone this offseason, anyone who landed Brandon Staley as head coach, I think would have been the winner of the offseason. I think that guy is the most innovative, creative, defensive mind to enter the league in mm. 20 odd years. You're talking about a guy who comes in from John Carroll, all these weird Northeastern college teams playing in the second division of college football, magically rises up to the ranks of being a position coach in the NFL. Suddenly, four years, microwaves himself into being a head coach. And he's brought all these collegiate concepts that we've seen run over the past 15, 20 years in college football, really nerdy, nerdy stuff, Mm. and said, why don't we just run this stuff with the best athletes in the world? Why has no one Mm. thought about this yet? Let's run tight fronts. Let's do lock coverage. Let's do all these really crafty things and do it with the best athletes alive. Now, it's easier when you have Aaron Donald, who's the best player in the league, and Jalen Ramsey, who might be the best cover corner in the league. But he will have similar toys with the Chargers when you have Bosa, when you have Derwin James coming back from injury. Mm. And that, to me, is the, the best platform any franchise could have. If you want to project out four, five, six years, you get your young franchise quarterback who doesn't know how good he is yet, 
and mm. you have this young... Doesn't he, though? He did. Yeah, he does. He knows how good he is. I, I don't think he does. I, you know, I studied him the other day. I mean, he's really good when he's just pure instinct. And it's like, I don't have to think about anything. Mm. The evolution of him will come with kind of the manningization of the game, which is, okay, Justin, on first and 10, can you just get the ball out? Can you just mm. hit your back foot and get the ball out? Mm. And we'll script in the off-script stuff. That's why he's at his best. Super explosive, playing down the field. Everyone loves that. But Ollie, where does his rookie season rank for you in terms of, uh, let's take the last 15, 20 years, in terms of, you know, c- capturing 25, whatever, you know, how far back you want to go so we can capture, you know, Manning and Co. In terms of great rookie quarterback seasons, is that up there as one of the best? It's certainly the most confounding from a player in college to what he became in the NFL. I mean, it's, right. a, it's a completely different player. Just overnight decides, you know what, I'm going to be a different kind of player to the one I was in college. I, they just hid me in college. And now all of a sudden I can make all these down the field throws. It wasn't that that stuff was completely hidden away. Obviously he had the physical traits. And then as you go through the off-season program, he shows you in, in um, during the combine and the pro days that he has, the, the arm and all that stuff. I don't think anyone thought that kind of the second, third level throws on the move out of um, – out of structure that that was ever there at Oregon. It was very much RPO base, see it, get it out, you know, read one guy, deliver mm-hmm. it. There was not scan the whole field, full field reads. I mean, he looks 14 and that's like a real thing is they had a cloudy judgment that well, sure. maybe doesn't you know see the, the field this way. Uh, and then to be better under pressure, you know, every rookie comes into the league and usually they're decent against the blitz because it means they've left the guy open. Mm-hmm. I've never seen anyone at that age play better under pressure than he does do when he's free. I think when he's able to sit and think, he's actually not as good as when it's just like, let's just play. Mm. And that is fascinating when you consider the trajectory of the league and how everything is kind of based around Rodgers, Mahomes, Russell Wilson. It's all off script yeah. now. It's let's go have some fun. Yeah. And they've got themselves maybe the best off script non-Mahomes player for the next decade. Are you surprised? I mean, you, you watch a lot of college football as I think you've already demonstrated to, to our listeners in the first couple of minutes of the show. Are, are you surprised? I, well, okay, let me rephrase the, rephrase the question because I guess we're all surprised at how well he did. But it seems to be quite a divided opinion, particularly where how high he went. And there was a fair amount of people. And I know that there is, you've got to take a lot of that at the pinch of salt because there are a lot of people that suddenly become experts around draft time but they haven't really watched enough college football or they've just seen you know very selective highlights and i'm always very careful and cautious not to not to pass any kind of judgment for someone like you who does watch a huge amount of of college ball are you where did you think he was gonna go how did you think he was gonna play out what did you think his ceiling was is this making total sense to you or are you a little bit surprised at just how well he's played i'm very surprised i mean it would be similar to josh allen except for Justin Herbert was good in college and Josh Allen was actually bad. You know, he was not a good player in college who became an MVP candidate. Justin Herbert was a good player who transformed his skill set. And you can only really go, to be fair, to if you want to be real scouts, internet scouts, whoever, you can only go off what you see. You know, it's mm. like we don't get to sit and have run him through drills, you know, for three or four days and fly him out and sit on the whiteboard with him. Mm. Um, so, th- yeah, this is a, a different player to what he was in college. And now we just go purely off this. Obviously, there's no need to talk about evolution or growth because suddenly there it is metamorphosized overnight. It's like, oh, yeah, I am now Patrick Mahomes. So they've landed, uh, the, the charges landed their guy and they've re-upped the line, which was a huge problem. Where does that put them, given what you said about the defense, given what you said about the ambitious coaching progressive coaching where does that put them collectively do you think that they are rolling into if not let's not carried away and say bona fide a super bowl contenders but are they are they turning that second tier of serious contenders that could roll on i think it's tough second year quarterbacks is always very tough everyone gets tape on them and all of a sudden you're doing that thing staley's never been a head coach we maybe take some what six seven weeks to figure out what he wants his working week to look like you know, it's right a, right a massive transition right um so i i wouldn't want to put too much pressure on them in that first year i think obviously playoff aspirations you start looking at that division you say well if denver doesn't find a quarterback if they can't figure out how to get rogers or or, or watson and if watson can play you look at the raiders situation i know we'll come on to their offensive mm. line stinks i think they they will fancy themselves and can we keep it tight over the season where maybe we peak second half of the year when the pieces start to fit together where we figure out what we're doing defensively where we figure out this new offense um 
can we be within touching distance of the Chiefs in the division? That would be major, major progress if we can just be a game, two games behind the Chiefs heading down the final stretch and then just get into the playoffs. Then, you know, who knows what happens? You have a franchise quarterback who can run around and make plays on third down. You can go and win games anywhere. Yeah, 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 yeah. And upset it. I want to drill down a bit more on what you were saying about Staley and in particular, the um, inclusion of... Um, and we're seeing this, you know, across the board, really, the development of uh, of the NFL in the last five years, one of the major developments anyway, has been the um, the shackles coming off in terms of incorporating more and more from the college game, right? And we know it's a copycat league. We know that when that starts to happen and it works, then more and more people pile on and uh, it becomes self-perpetuating. But can you break down a little bit more about what you think that means for the, for the game going forward? As we see more and more... Uh, influences, schemes, plays coming from the college game, more and more players who might have been overlooked five, 10 years ago, or certainly underrated five or 10 years ago, becoming celebrated and, uh, uh, and, and falling into situations where they can really thrive and flourish. What's happening next? We're seeing it offensively. You're talking defensively with, with guys like Staley. What's happening next, do you think, in terms of the evolution of the NFL? Interesting. Staley's a fascinating one. He he basically decided, I will just create a best of playlist of all the college stuff. Give me mm. six one fronts. Give me tight fronts. Give me big nickel. You, you see everywhere now. Everyone plays three safeties. That's like their base defense. Now we play three safeties. He said, well, why don't we just put eight guys in coverage? Everyone set their game plans up, uh, their offensive game plans, thinking there's going to be seven defenders in coverage. Why have I got an eighth guy in? It's going to screw everything up for weeks, right? It did do. Mm. Um, slot coverage, essentially, I'm not sure how much listeners will be familiar. There's a thing called pattern match coverage that's talked about quite a bit. Bill Belichick's staple. It's zone and man coverage at the same time. You basically, instead of spot dropping to a zone, you read both the man's hips and you drop to a zone. You kind of convert to man coverage if you feel that's best. And it's kind of a combination coverage. Very difficult to run, but at the higher level, they all run that. Lot coverage is like, no, on one half of the field, we play man to man coverage. On the other half, we play zone. And you usually mm. would do that in a red zone in an emergency. You play in a great receiver and you might do it for one week. Staley just says, no, that's my, that's what we run. You know, mm. it's, it's really high volume, high variance. It might end up going for seven. We might pick something off. Um, and when you have Jalen Ramsey, like I said, I mean, that, that's really easy. Right. Like you said, what, what it is going to give them is they just have more athletes on the field than everyone else. And as the offense is slimmed down, slimmed down, slimmed down, you now get yourself where you, you can match up athlete for athlete. We're playing one-on-one football. And yeah, I think we actually have on defense better athletes because I can play Derwin James. And he used to only be able to play Derwin James and another safety and now I can play two of those guys. I could play back in the day, Cam Chancellor, Earl Thomas, and Derwin James if mm-hmm. I wanted to. Um, that That is the true evolution of the game there. The, the difference here is that it all sounds great. In theory, Staley right. is a guy who's put it into practice. And if you look last season at the Rams defense, they were massively better in the second half of games. I mean, for a long time, they were, they were trending to be the best defense by points in the second half ever in the history of the league, including times when, you know, they they played games where it was 6-3. Mm. That's how dominant they were in the second half of games. That is a guy who can see it, feel it, and change it in the moment. Mm. He runs all of these things and he'll change it snap to snap. Mm. He does weird things snap to snap that people will spend weeks trying to come up with. You know, They spend a bye week installing it and he says, let's just do it now. That is unteachable, uncoachable. You can't just decide, let's run Brandon's stuff. That, 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 that comes from somewhere, who knows? You know, mm. It's a Bill Belichickian level of understanding the moment. Um, so I, I just don't think you can replicate that. And that's why I think it, it has to be the premier win of the offseason. It's like when the Rams got McVeigh, everyone just right. realized, okay, it's turbocharged now. They got the best guy for the next 20 years and it actually happened. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Lands in that category for the other side of the ball. Yeah, brilliantly described. Okay, well, charges were big on then. Let's go to, on the flip side to a team, maybe not so much. And you've already uh, shown you had a little bit, Ollie, here. And I'm disappointed to hear this, although I'm not saying I disagree with it because I've got a soft spot for him and would like to see it come good. But the Raiders are perhaps, in your opinion anyway, uh, looks like they're going to be up against it. Conversely, in contrast to the charges and the protection that they have afforded their franchise quarterback. Are we calling Derek Carr a franchise quarterback? I'm not sure, but certainly their offensive line is all change there. You think that's going to be a huge issue for the Chargers? They've got a very stacked early schedule and we all know what happens when you get behind the eight ball and suddenly you're 0-3, 1-4, everybody's talking. Uh, And it's this underlying issue that has been there from day one since Gruden walked in the building, doesn't really rate his quarterback, 
doesn't doesn't just seem doesn't not a natural fit there. So a, a long road ahead, you think for the for the Vegas Raiders. It's a tough one. I got to say, an all-time leak from Derek Carr this week, would you not say, nah, that He was like, I will quit if you trade me. After John Gruden <laughs> and Mike Mayock have spent the last three years flirting with every available quarterback. They're like, Deshaun Watson were involved. Aaron Rodgers were involved. You ben Denucci, they were looking at at one point. Justin Fields, let's get involved in a trade. And Derek Carr's like, I will quit. I will seriously quit if you trade me from here. <laughs> Not um, for ready. Come on. And he said that when, as you mentioned, the start of their schedule, their first five games are either playing all pro pass rusher or a group that finished in the top 15 in pressures in 2020. Right. And in the middle of that, Mike Mayer got together with John Green and said, what if we take all of our three good offensive linemen and we trade them all for middling draft picks. And they looked at each other and they said, that is genius. Let's do this. Where are you on Mayor? Because obviously before he turned his hand to be a GM, he was a, 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 a highly regarded analyst and talent evaluator at the college game. And he seems to have divided opinion. And that's always a term that, that tends to be more, uh, have more negative connotations. But in terms of the, 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 the business he's done so far as, as GM, a lot of people are down on it. There are some apologists, male apologists that say he's very clear uh, in what he wants, has real faith in his conviction, doesn't really care what anyone else says or ranks, will go and get what he wants and, and is the right fit. So based on the drafts you've seen so far from him and indeed the, the other business done, how, what's your Mayock grade? Grade is a tough one. It has to be a, a D. I feel like John, John Gruden, the coach, is bailing out John Gruden and Mike Mayock the talent evaluators. I, mm. I think their underlying roster is actually pretty good. They have a lot of players where you're like, that guy's a good player. It's a good depth piece. It's mm. the, the top end, as you say, where they've kind of, and you have to admire it, as you said, to have the stones to say, we don't care about anyone else's evaluation. We are taking on it in the first yeah. round of the top 15. Like, we just think yeah. he's that good. Farrell as well, right? Yeah, I mean, Colin yeah. Farrell, exact same thing. It's just taking a bunch of safeties and saying, forget it, we'll take it up on the next year. I want a safety. <laughs> Go get me a safety. And the league now... Well, to your point, it's because they think they can play five safeties at one time, so that's probably why. Uh, You know, the the league now in every front office, they have economists who went to Harvard. You say, well, you know, that's fine to say you want to play, but it's all about draft equity and we have to maximize the potential of the pick. And Gruden says, no, I want Clayton Farrell. He's 6'7". He's got gigantic arms. Bring me that player. (laughs) Old school. Um, And that, you know, they're fine and the the baseline is good. They just don't have that kind of top and a difference makers now. Mm. They go and get Yannick and Gakwe and you hope they can maybe try and piece it together through free agency but they just feel so middling and it feels like it's not going nowhere until to your point earlier they can try and pull off on those gigantic moves that they've kind of tiptoed around for a few years now and that kind of feels like they're at this level it, it they feel so oddly in a rush for a franchise that gave its coach 10 years 10 years right like 10 right. years no matter what we're locked in but we're in a rush we'll link ourselves to everyone we'll chase it now we want this player we'll chase it so it it's a tough situation. I actually, like, as I said, I kind of like their roster, but I do think Gruden is massively underrated as a schemer and play caller and, and mm. he's doing a lot with a little. Mm. Well, let's look at that because I guess the, the upside, and this is for Raiders fans out there now that have spent the last four or five minutes crying into their bit. Rugs could go off this year. I mean, he, you know, he has that. Where, where are you on Rugs with your with your you know college evaluation hat on? A disappointing first year, I guess, but he's a real burner, isn't he? He's got he's got tremendous upside potential. He could, it wouldn't surprise you, would it, if he goes for eleven hundred yards, ten touchdowns, and is a breakout player? No, you're just kind of waiting on that Mike Wallace year. Remember that the Steelers mm. when it's just all of a sudden he leads the league in touchdowns and every touchdown right. it's over 20 yards. And you just hope as a Raiders, are we going to be the team who keeps waiting and waiting and waiting? And then he goes somewhere else and he does what Mike Wallace did at the Dolphins. <laughs> like, right. That year is coming. You can't be that fast and not get away from people sometimes. Mm. You know, at some point it's right. going to happen for you. You're just quicker than everyone else. It's sports. Um, and they're so, going for the burn, aren't they? Because with Brown as well. I mean, now mm-hmm. Davis would be proud with the, <laughs> the, yeah. the, fo- the focus on speed. But then, of course, Wallace top five in his position, I think it's mm-hmm. fair to say. Uh, and of course, Josh Jacobs too. So, I mean... It could, it, and Carr, where are you on him? Because I uh, feel for him for the reasons you've outlined, and I think he is underrated. I, I know he is clearly in that bracket, his his Pro Bowl season, breakout season notwithstanding. He's in that bracket of, you know, top of the third tier, bottom of the second tier quarterbacks that, pro, as our old friend Matthew Berry would say, the Dalton line, of uh, he may be just on the right side of the water margin to to lead a, a, a Super Bowl charge, but he's not going to be a game changer like those above him. 
looking at that, if he has an upside season, everybody stays healthy. Is it going to be an insurmountable problem in the line, irrespective of that starting talent? Or do you think they might be able to uh, to get in their groove and, and surprise some people? Well, this is where they've done him a serious disservice because he collapses under pressure. You know, he's not mm. a guy who can escape and scramble around. He's always folded when, when if you look at his passing numbers, when not pressured to when he's pressured, he always has one of the largest drops off in the league. It's just not his game. Um, yeah. He's not really a kind of you know, quirky arm angle and let me flip it outside arm and just get the ball out. He really is very structured, which is why him and Gruden get along. So while you read the quotes, it's like, yeah, the guy is a maniac for football. <laughs> yeah. He's there yeah. every day. The classic first in last out. I'm sure he stays longer than everyone. I'm mm. sure he shuts the building down. Um, but he just cannot improvise on the fly the way guys, as you mentioned, that second and first tier too. And you can be in that third tier, like a Ryan Fitzpatrick and be in an improviser, improviser, how do you say that? You can improvise. You yeah. can be in the third tier and be someone who improvises and, and have a fantastic career. And like you said, maybe their floor would be a bit lower, but it would raise their ceiling where if you built that Bengals team around Dalton, the Dalton line is fascinating. I actually think Dalton's peak was better than people give him credit for. Mm. But that three-year run, they went to Super Bowl. That team was so stacked. They ran too deep, by far the best too deep in the league. When you go back and reflect through it, it, it was right. crazy. And they just didn't have a guy who could elevate the ceiling. So you would need mm. that level of roster, I think, to, to win with Derek Carr. And they don't run too deep quite quite that well. Okay, let's go, go on to a team that I think has had, uh, certainly they've had a prolific offseason, an unconventional offseason uh, based on their track record. I think they're firmly back into contention, but you might beg to differ. So let's talk about the Patriots and the Patriots reboot, just going all in, in many respects, uh, for all kinds of reasons. And look at the uh, the players they brought in. Uh, and they did so much business early doors in free agency. It's easy to forget. They've got Carvanoi back, of course, Nelson Aguilar, Johnny Smith and Hunter Henry, Kendrick Bourne's landed there as well. Uh, at the Robert Kraft quote I uh, enjoyed from when uh, all of this uh, wheeling and dealing was happening. It's like investing in the stock market. You take advantage of corrections and inefficiencies in the market when you can. And that's what we did here. Clinical from Kraft, flexing his billionaire muscles. Of course, they went big in the draft as well. And Mac Jones and that factor, Cam's been re-ups. It's all happening, all happening with the Patriots. And they still have the best coaching uh, tag team, certainly in terms of success in, in uh, Belichick and McDaniels in the NFL right now. So where are you on the New England Patriots? They win as they lose us in the offseason or somewhere in between? Certainly winners. You just go by by talent of the roster and it, it's about as big an upgrade as you can get. And you also have to look at what's coming back. They had the most defections from COVID and they get all those yeah. players back. And I know there's, there's concerns swirling around whether Dante Hightower, will he play, won't he play? It seems though he's going to play. Um, but they got all kinds of talent back. They might have the best offensive line in the league. Um, they've got two viable quarterback options, which most kind of teams in that mid mini rebuild don't, don't often have where you feel like, well, we could run with camp for four weeks and when Mac's ready, he's ready and we'll just throw him out there. And, and Is that what you think they'll do? You think they'll, the, you think they'll, because I think the, the challenge with that when you've got, and I guess the, uh, the 49ers might have this issue and again, interested to hear what you think about that. Do that if you are, in the wings, waiting, waiting, waiting. It's fine if you're four and 11, you know, and okay, well, or, or probably three and eight. Okay, enough, let's roll with it. But, but if you're in contention and providing you're in contention, providing your, your vet is capable enough and certainly you're not winning despite him, but he is contributing to that, then you're not going to move away from the hot hand, are you? And, you know, if the Patriots find themselves eight and three, and rolling again, and Cam's taking care of business to to a large degree. They're not going to make a change, are they? Uh, I would I would believe that of anyone but Bill Belichick and Jim Harbaugh. <laughs> Jim Harbaugh would do the same thing, but I mean, Bill Belichick. That's how Tom Brady began. <laughs> he said, you know, Drew Fair, yeah. got knocked out of the game, and he had the choice to make, and he said, no, we're going with the young guy. I just prefer mm. him. Um, I, I think if anyone would be ruthless enough to do it, it would be Bill Belichick. I don't think enough has been made about the learning curve that Mac Jones has to make from that Alabama system to what is perhaps the most complex offensive system in the league. And who knows what they're going to run this year because they radically transformed it for Cam last year. Sure. And now they got Mac, who they probably want to run what they ran with Tom Brady for, mm-hmm. for 15 years or at least the final four or five seasons. Um, 
they have two playbooks? Is it one with everything in there? It, it's a giant <laughs> difference. I think people look at Alabama and go, oh, they must be, they're so good that everyone's pro ready and you hit them with that tag. Mm. Um, their offense has not been anything like pro ready for, for years now, for three, four, five years. So it's a massive jump for him. And thereby we expand on that for us, Ollie. So why, why are people making, uh, you know misunderstanding obviously Alabama being the powerhouse logical and so much talent that you see a very surface level skill talent drafted uh high up in you know in the the top two rounds why what is the breakdown the difference between why you think it's going to be such a big jump for 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 Mac Jones well one of the big things that the talent you mentioned there I mean he never has to set or reset a protection in his mm-hmm. life because he has the best offensive line in the world. I mean, literally, they're all five-star recruits and then the backup is also a five-star. And 11 receivers, all good. 11 receivers who are all open at once. So it, it, it's really <laughs> that basic and you can go down into full field reads versus half field reads. Mac Jones ran a one-person read system, <laughs> which is, right. I mean, you know, it, it's it's fine. I mean, he was unbelievable. You cannot take away the accuracy and the efficiency. And I'm not talking actually as completion, I'm talking about where the ball landed in the guy's hands. Yes, a lot of the time they're wide open but he did also throw coverage throws where he's got to throw to the back shoulder he's got to put in a specific location this guy's draped on people he just wants to make take aggressive shots and so he puts it in the perfect spot so the the actual accuracy from a dead stop phenomenal fantastic it's why he went 15th it's why i was talking about going third overall but that leap from well now i have to time up my footwork to my receivers and what happens when that guy's not open so now i gotta look the other way i know this guy's hitting me because i forgot to tell the guard that i don't want you to look left anymore i want you to look right mm. there's a, it's a world of difference go. and although you know cam newton is limited now at this stage in his career he knows all that stuff you know mm. it's second nature to him it's not going to be an issue so i think there's, there's a there's a much steeper curve for mac jones of people think and their bye week is i like 15th week right it's really Rough, steep isn't it yeah yeah so unless cam gets injured they, they might be cool pushing it that deep into the season what do you think cam's done because he had an interesting season, didn't he? He had uh, a disappointing season. Obviously, COVID played its part there. He was n- certainly not the same when he came back from uh, the COVID interruption. But he had a couple of games where he was, I mean, the Seattle game in particular, he was really airing it out and nailing it. So is, is, the, is it the injury? Is it the new digs? Takes time. Do you think there's much? I mean, the Patriots clearly feel there's something left in the tank. Otherwise, it was a waste of their time. There were a number of vets they could have easily wheeled in to be that placeholder. They obviously feel that he's got more. What about you based on what you saw last year? Based on last year, it's not good. I mean, there was times when he was throwing a medicine ball. You know, once he actually had a, f- a few reps, he had this very clear thing where after 10 throws, it was like, that's a wrap now. You know, almost like, right, right. Yeah, when you have like a bad rotator cuff or something and then you like lift once and it's like, yeah, okay, that's a wrap for the day. I'm going to go sit down. Um, <laughs> yeah. it, that's what it looked like. And so another year removed from the surgery, you hope maybe something. And I imagine, as mm. you said, they went into some kind of off the field showcase and said, can we see that it's actually progressed a little bit? I would imagine it's, got a little bit better. I do think they kind of built the roster with the intention, like we'll get some burners, we'll get a bunch of jumbo sets, we'll add some more tight ends. You know, they barely ran two tight ends last year, which when you have Cam Newton, this run-only offense that they were running, even in Carolina, they were often 13 personnel, 12 personnel, big jumbo packages, yeah. a bunch of guys in the line of scrimmage. And if I'm not running it, I'm throwing it, but at least it's one bomb down the field. Mm-hmm. They've built a similar kind of roster that I think to allow them to say, well, we can just run behind Cam 20, 30 times a game. They've got a talented mm-hmm. running back group. So, and I that think- worked for, to your point with for Mac Jones as well, of course, the kind of comfort blanket of having those tight ends in particular very dependable and capable. We see that all the time, don't we, with young... I mean, Andrew Luck was, was a great example. And Andrew Luck is, mm-hmm. I think we'd all agree, a, uh, certainly a more, a more talented player than, than Mac Jones coming out of college anyway. Uh, reliance on a tight end early on makes a lot of sense. So it's kind of a sensible play in that respect too, which, whichever way they go. What about Gilmore? What do you think will happen there? Because Gilmore, a, a number of players that are, uh, a number of stars that are still not getting business done. Xavier Howard, of course, in, in Miami is another one. What do you think the Gilmore situation will, will be? Will they get the deal done in the end? Because they, they need him, don't they? I mean, he's uh, still right at the top of his game. Uh, they need him. I, I don't think he, he's quite right at the top anymore. I mean, he, he was playing a really tricky spot last year where they had to change up the way he played a little bit. He played off coverage more, which he really just can't do. It's similar to when Richard Sherman was at his absolute apex and it was like, this is the best turn and run corner in the league. You ask him to do anything else and he looks terrible. I don't know mm. why that happens. That's just who he is. Stefan Gilmore is the exact same way. If he can put his hands on you at the line of scrimmage, it's a wrap. He's the best in the league. It's him. Mm. It's J.R. Alexander. If you ask him to do anything else, we got problems. 
Uh, whereas Jackson on the other side of the field, who they're going to have to pay at some point, he can do anything. I think Bill mm. Belichick looks at him as like, that's my little protege, is I can ask him to do whatever I want, and he fits in perfectly. And he might be 15th, 17th, 18th best corner in the league, and he might not you know, be a big star, might not win Defensive Player of the Year, but I trust him implicitly, and I'd rather pay him. And I really think Belichick will just say, that that's my guy. I've got to pay one mm. of them now or next year, and I'm going to pay him. Um, so do you want to come play? Maybe they do some kind of, you know, they, they moved all the money forward from last year. So maybe they do something to give them a little bit of a, of a bump this year. But I would not be at all surprised if they just decided, no, we'd rather pay Jackson next year and we'll, we'll take a draft pick off somewhere. Yeah, OK, that's a, that is a really interesting perspective. And I guess selling high as well on the Gilmore uh, would make sense right now because they could definitely do that. Uh, OK, let's go on to I want to talk next about the Jaguars and, and in particular uh, Urban Meyer. Tebow Shaw, quirky story, but I think we all know where that's going to land. But Maya is somebody that intrigues me. And again, uh, picking your brains and knowledge of the college game and uh, therefore uh, of Urban Maya, what do you think in particular he's going to bring to the NFL? You mentioned earlier on about, which is a really interesting and I think um, underemphasized point about the adjustment you got to make becoming an NFL head coach, which is true if you're a coordinator. Uh, I've been catching up, watching actually with one of my kids, the uh, all or nothing's going back, you know, through them all. And the Jeff Fisher Rams season, when he gets jettisoned mid-season and uh, Fossil takes over and it's just, you know, <clears throat> mind blown about what he's got to deal with outside of, you know, the actual game itself. And it, it, there is, of course, that whole side to, to the head coaching role, dealing with the media, all of that side of it, which is um, a challenge. What about someone like Urban Meyer, an old stager that's been on a massive stage that is used to a lot of it, but at the same time has never done this before? How big an issue, if at all, is that going to be? It's massive. It's the most under-discussed thing about the leap from college to the pros, because you often get people talking about like the players and the egos and that kind of thing. I mean, Urban Meyer, Ohio State is already booking the flights. You know, they have radio shows. I don't think people quite understand in college football, they only get 20 hours a week with the players, mm. right? And half that time is with the strength and conditioning staff. Urban Meyer is not involved in that. You know, he puts the plan together. He says, bring me, you know, a seven foot tall tree to play left tackle. <laughs> you know, he's involved in, in that much of it, but there ain't a lot of football going on. And so, you know, you go into, into the NFL and he's going to be like, how come everyone's still here at eight o'clock at night? Watching tape? <laughs> go it, it's, it's, it's a gigantic difference. It's why, you know, guys, they often get caught out as being skiing guys. You go all the way back to Lou Holtz with, you know, mm -hmm. and he, he has to leave the NFL midway through the first thing. Like, this is way too much football. You guys are too good at this. I cannot do this. <laughs> sure. I like to go into homes, shake the mum's hand and walk out with the player recruiting. Yeah. That's what I'm good at. That is the giant you know, set. Steve Spurrier is another one. Yeah, Obviously Saban. Chip Saban. Kelly. You know, Chip Kelly. Kelly what you about know, Saban? Why didn't Saban, was it a case of he, he might have bounced back, but as soon as he landed in Alabama and why would you leave? Is it, is yeah. it that? I think so. I think Nick Saban would have been fine. I, any idea that like for some reason, like a coach, every system running the NFL between 2005 and 2016, basically that Seattle cover three, they call it Ripplers match coverage. That was Nick Saban's baby. He built mm. that in Cleveland for Bill Belichick and Bill, mm. Bill, Bill Belichick did fine. The Seattle Seahawks are very good at running Ripley's match coverage. I think right. he would have figured it out eventually and <laughs> at least made a couple of playoff appearances. But I cut you off mid for apologies. So, yeah, so that adjustment when you are, yeah, you, and, 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 you know, you, you throw away line, but I'm with you. A lot of it is a huge part, of course, his recruitment is convincing those parents this is the place for, for your boy and shaking hands, pressing palms, kissing babies, all that kind of stuff. Uh, and, of course, none of that is relevant in, in, in the NFL. Uh, do you think there is a um, challenge for college coaches, even of the credibility and stature of someone like Urban Meyer coming in with the vets or at least with the, I know vets seems to get appropriated now when you've been in the NFL for two years. So, but with those that have been around the block a few times, serious players, are they going to be looking at him and slightly suspicious as opposed to say a Gruden rocking up or, uh, you know, McVeigh rocking up who is a young gun, but within minutes you're like, okay, I get it. What is the, what is he going to have to win players over? Do you think? 
I think so. Well, more than any, more than any, any new head coach has to, of course, to a degree. I do. I think so. I think, well, he also had, comes with all the stigma and the baggage that is just being Urban Meyer. And that's going to be well understood in the room. Now he's populated the staff with everyone from college, which is, is which is a curious thing. It's almost like, well, if I get everyone on side and we have kind of an urban rally every morning, then, you know, people will just buy in organically, which could happen. John Gruden, the same thing. He brought all his old, old boys back with him to the Raiders yeah. and people did buy in whether they were winning games or not at the start, you know, that the players loved it. Mm. That could work. But then, as I said, there's just a thing of the work. I don't think people realize in the NFL the difference in the volume of work to what you have to do in college. It's just so much more. It, co- college coaches moan all the time about having to shake the hands and go to the booster club. But that is kind of fun, particularly when you're urban mind, you're winning national titles and everyone right, thinks you're great and you're getting paid seven million dollars a year to have to sit in your room and watch banjo coverages from the Cleveland Browns on the third and four <laughs> and you're queuing up four years of them. You know, it's really hard work. It's not yeah. fun. You have to adore it. And I'm not saying Urban Meyer doesn't adore football. I'm sure he does. But it's just such another level. And the thing to your point about the players is they find out really fast because they're in their room watching banjo coverages on third and fourth. The good ones are. And the mm. Jags ain't got a bunch of those good players, but they'll have enough who will be able to uh, pollute the place with badness. If they can figure out really fast, these guys are not up to the level we need yeah. to have not even a tactical advantage on the field, but to just be at the same level playing field because all those other coaching staffs will be doing this stuff. And, mm. and that's what he's going to have to prove right away. And, you know, I would be flawed if he underworked or anything like that. That has been an issue of college coaches in the past. I think he actually is at that kind of schematic level. He he brought spread option football to modern college football at the high level from Utah to Florida to Ohio State. He's constantly innovated. And even something like the Travis Etienne situation, I think mm. where you see him saying, well, I'm going to use him like Percy Harvin. I didn't draft him as a running back. He's Percy Harvin to me. I think that will actually excite the locker room. It's like, oh, cool. That's something a bit different. You know, mm. people laugh at taking running backs in the first round. We just signed Percy Harvin. I, I think that kind of thing can work. Um, all undercut, by the way, by Sam. <laughs> all undercut. <laughs> Completely undercut himself that, by trying to sell some jerseys. Uh, yes. And an uh, and, and, and incredible amount of jerseys that have been sold as well. There is... Uh, give me a percentage chance of Tim Tebow being on the R- Jags roster um, week nine of next season. Week nine. Great. Unbelievable week by you. Thank you. Fantastic. I, I think 15%. You 15. cannot underestimate the ego of Urban Meyer. <laughs> he really right. thinks he's the best football coach I've ever lived, and he's won an awful lot of stuff everywhere. Um, I, I just I can, I I think, can still he, I, he can still do it. This is what he's going to be. <laughs> I can yeah. still get him there. Yeah. And, and if nothing else, he you know, knows my message, knows the verbiage, you know, that the mm. verbiage will be completely different for all these players. You can at least tell Trevor, you know, when we call Red, it means that me. You know, that he will be thinking like that. I think I wrote this story a while back when Tebow went to the Patriots and it was a completely misunderstood situation. If, if you remember back then, they had Tom Brady, they had Garoppolo and, and along comes Tim Tebow. And it's like, why is Bill Belichick kicking the ties on Tim Tebow? And Belichick had commissioned a giant study in the offseason to look at what are we just missing? What is the way we're not scoring points? Tell me how to score more points. And the study gave him back two-point conversions. No one in this league runs two-point conversions at a high enough level. And he went back to them and said, well, who is the best at two-point conversions? And they brought him all the short yardage players in the league, running backs, everyone. And they said, Tim Tebow is among the three best short yardage people in all of football. He's just bigger than everyone else. And one-on-one in the hole, he'll beat someone. They brought in Tim Tebow and said, great, we'll try it. You know, we'll give it a go. They bring him in. He cannot catch the ball. He mm. muffs snaps. It's a complete disaster. They never even unleashed it in the preseason. If you remember, he actually played very well in a Philadelphia game playing quarterback. But the plan was never to have him play QB. It was to be a, right. a two-point specialist in the same way we have a kicking specialist who does one points and three points. Tim will be our two-point guy and we'll try it. And then they all got in a room and said, well, why are we taking Tom Brady off the field? on our two-point conversion, the greatest ever do it to put in Tim Tebow who can't catch the ball. Mm. So I, I think that is what Urban Meyer is looking at, that they're going to list him as a tight end. You know, maybe he does some quarterback stuff for them. I think they want a short yardage bulldozer, a two-point conversion. And I think he thinks just minor little victories, having Travis Etienne as a slot receiver rather than a running back, having a two-point specialist in a league that doesn't have a two-point specialist right now, save for maybe Cam Newton, Josh Allen. I think that's what he thinks. And if you're going to commit to that, you kind of have to keep him on the roster for any semblance of credibility with the locker room. Mm. Mm. It's fascinating. The, the, the Patriot story. I wasn't um, aware of uh, that was the rationale for bringing him in. I knew that there was talk of, you know, using him in, in 
trick play situations you heard and but the, that to be you know that focused and it's something that you know occurs to me i'm surprised it doesn't happen more and i know roster st- spots are precious and certainly if you're bill belichick they are but that is an interesting idea we saw it i, I guess a bit inadvertently with the the dolphins using fits as a closer of sorts as well and i, I do wonder whether we'll see more of that gradually uh, you know uh, uh, roster spots opened up for very specific situations beyond as you say a kicker a, a long snap of stuff that you know is going to be a fundamental uh okay let's end on two superstar quarterbacks you've had challenging off seasons for altogether different reasons aaron Rodgers, and uh i re- recall you wrote about Rodgers this time last year further back you know a year or so ago right and uh uh and a, a lot of that piece is is bang on the money right now so you're somebody who knows and is close to i mean monitoring the rogers situation for a fair while what's gonna happen you think ollie is he gonna hold out are they can they deal him now the draft's done are they really are you really gonna have a gm who is in Denver, who is a new sheriff in town, going to give up the house for the next two or three years to get Aaron Rodgers? Or is he going to end up suiting up for the Packers and all's well that ends well? What do you reckon is most likely? I think it's a wrap. I think it was a wrap the moment they drafted Jordan Love. I mean, you go back to that piece. In that piece, I say, this is done. It's going to be two years from now. I didn't realize it would be one year from from now. The the guy holds grudges. uh, And when you have a team president who doesn't just fall on the sword and say giant whiff, whatever, do you want us to get rid of Jordan love or at least sit and explain the situation to Aaron Rodgers? who comes out and starts talking to the media about how he's a complicated guy. He's difficult to work with and all this stuff. It's like, right. how, that, how are you Thanks, ever going to have that situation? <laughs> right. Anyone in their life who knows someone who's complicated does not go up to them and say, you know, I think you're kind of complicated. He's almost 40 years old. I don't think that, you know, the switch is going to change overnight from being difficult to work with to suddenly being, being delightful and, and open to being told he's complicated. So I, I just cannot see a way that, that they piece it back together. The only way this is possible is if Rogers wakes up one day and there is a lot of money on the line for him to, walk, you know, if he retired to do Jeopardy or whatever they, they say he might do. Um, which I, I just not amongst the weirdest NFL stories ever would be the greatest of all time. I feel he, this is the end of his career as of now as an NFL player. And the next time we see him is hosting Jeopardy. I mean, you're never gonna, and he would be a bigger star. It's the biggest TV show in America. <laughs> <laughs> would he be a bigger star? Yeah, he probably would. He probably would. Um, I, there's so much money on the line. I, I can only pick. Could he, he do, makes- could he do Jeopardy and be a quarterback in the NFL? Neon Dion style. So instead of two sports, he can go broadcast, game show host, and play at the same time. My favorite thing about that story is that he's, you know, he gave this whole breakdown to the ringer about he'd figured the days out that he only has to do X amount of days and he can go out to the West Coast and, you know, he can do it in a block and then come back to Green Bay. (laughs) And the Jeopardy guy was like, no, we only take full time (laughs) presenters, which is the way of saying we really don't want Aaron Rodgers. Can you all stop pressuring us to have to Aaron Aaron Rodgers? We want a TV professional. Rodgers was good. For an NFL quarterback, you know, yes, right. TV Just property like- in America could we maybe give it to Joe Buck, who knows how to do TV? Um, uh, I, I, don't, I can't see that happening. It would be delightful. Um, mm. I, I think for him, it's if he can get to Denver. That Denver team is so loaded on defense that would make a ton of sense. It would be similar mm. to when Manning went there and all those comparisons. Right. Yeah, yeah. Um, Anywhere else, you start looking like, but I can't win Super Bowls there. So I'm just doing it to scorch the earth. Now, do I just do the Michael Jordan thing and I come back and I don't like my GM and I win in spite of him because that Packers team is loaded. You know, I know people are laughing saying, well, if Jordan Love goes in, that they'll win five games. They might do because Jordan Love might be bad. But the, the roster is still loaded. He isn't going anywhere else that will have Jair Alexander and Devontae Adams mm. and David Bakhtiari, you know, top two guys at their position in the league and three of the most important positions on the field. That roster does not exist anywhere else in the NFL. Mm. So he is still kind of lucky to have that roster around him as much as he elevates those players. So maybe he wakes up one day and says, well, I could just go and win Super Bowls and then walk away with middle fingers to everyone in the building and do the Michael Jordan thing where, yeah, he hated Jerry Krause, but he won all those rings and then he got to say it in the documentary. You know, go and do it in 20 years' time, lay it all out <laughs> right. in the documentary and give them I'll no do it in America's game. Do it, in the, do it straight, <laughs> straight off the bat and go back, to the, back and do it again. And that would be, <laughs> be shame. Uh, okay, so do you think that's more likely to happen then? That, so... Well, because I get he could he could sit out. I mean, that is obviously a distinct possibility. 
the the Broncos going to give give up the house for him? I just can't. I can't see that happening. I know we're talking about a generational quarterback. I just can't see a new front office doing that. Uh, any team that looks at the structure of its roster and says we are loaded on defense is doing itself an unbelievable disservice to not offer every pick they have to every quarterback that's available. Mm. Defense is not sustainable year to year. You have maybe two years. If you're lucky, someone does an Achilles, someone does an ACL, the whole thing falls down. You need 15 good players, a great scheme, a great play caller, and it all to fit together on a snap to snap basis. You get a great quarterback. You're excellent for five, 10 years, however long the player plays. It's just mm-hmm. that simple. Yeah, yeah. Offense is as good as the quarterback is pretty basic. Um, their defense is loaded and they got the best probably defensive mind that, that has been around in the modern age in Vic Fangio. You know, he is that, that caliber of, of play caller, that caliber of schema. You put him with Aaron Rodgers. You're more likely to win a Super Bowl that way than to just say, well, we need our draft picks. And yeah, you probably whiff on all, all right. of them. You know, right, yeah, you know, yeah. Or, even if you land half of them, right, yeah. which is which is good going. Yeah, then you're a an eight and well, sorry, a nine and eight team. Oh, is it, no, it, it does. With Jeff Fisher, pulling the Jeff Fisher, it's just occurred to me. I'm sure a million people have got there way ahead of me on this, but yeah, no longer we could have the 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 eight and eight. Uh, I'm still trying to get used to the numbers, but hey, it'll come. Um, so finally, then you mentioned the Broncos as a landing spot, the most likely landing spot. Frankly, I guess the Raiders are an outside bet. For reasons we outlined earlier on, but the, the Broncos are likely landing spot, most likely for Rogers, but also potentially for Deshaun Watson. Now, this is a clearly a, a altogether different situation. Uh, still, remarkably unclear as to whether he'll ever play football again, whether he'll play football this season, whether um, uh, a team is going to be interested. Well, I think we know the answer to that until it is cleared. Either way, the situation both. Criminal and uh, criminal and civil. Um, until that's resolved, no one's going to do any business. Let's just assume that Watson and the situation doesn't change as we get towards well, where are we now? We're almost mid June, right? So let's just say nothing significantly changes for another couple of months. So we're getting knocking on the door of the seasonally. What is what what's happening with the with the Texans? What does this mean for Watson long term? He's going to have to sit out this season. Almost certainly, he's going to have some return midway through, even if the civil cases are resolved. How do you see the Watson situation playing out? And the Texans are dead and buried, aren't they? Without him, yeah, the Texans are almost out of the situation to me. They're going to be dreadful. They'll be the worst team in the league, more than likely. It's not even a real professional roster. It looks like an XFL team, <laughs> and that's even with the Sean Watson. Mm-hmm. Um, if a lot of this comes down to the head office. You know, they need to send a playbook to the teams that that has the the five six different strands that run off this thing. Which is, will he go on the commissioner's exempt list? What what triggers it? What doesn't? It's such a unique situation that we find ourselves in that it's incumbent mm-hmm. on the league to deliver a playbook that says that this is for this situation. I'm not having the the slippery slopes and you know setting precedents like this is a one off situation we've never had before where a generational athlete is, is accused on this level, where it's this volume of accusers. You have to wait till every single allegation is cleared up and there could be more allegations. There could not be, they could all go together. They could go one by one. It could take a mm. long, long, long time to get through, as you said, both civil and criminal. So I, I imagine he goes in the commission's exempt list and it takes a long time to clear all of this up. Um, I haven't said so that. It's likely he's not playing football this season then. I would be really, really surprised unless there was, uh, you know, a, a situation where as they've already been discussing um, some kind of settlement with all of the, accusers right now but that does not mean there will not be future accusers right the moment that, that case is, is is settled you know you might get an accuser in week four week five can you can you accept that as the broncos trading you know mm. two three draft picks and you just accept it morally you don't want to be put in that situation mm. where now you're on the, the, the ticker of every news company in the world that he plays for you now so and i think that that situation is is unfair frankly to put any of these organizations in and that's where the commission has to step up and say that I'm taking it into my hands, that I'm taking him out of football until I've decided that this has been cleared up appropriately. Two more things. Still hoping we're going to get a little ditty out of you. Before we do, though, uh, Producer Ollie has a question for you. Producer Ollie, what's going down? I have a question for you. Uh, It was actually in the running order. I know you just said and praised it, but (laughs) that completely ignored it. So I'm going to come in and ask myself uh, (laughs) if you want to do a job properly by the end of the day. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Stefan Gilmore is, Bill Belichick doesn't expect him to turn up to minicamp. He's obviously 
was had would say regressed slightly last year, but still probably in one of the top corners in the league. Where do you think he could make an impact if he does get traded, and how much do you reckon he would get traded for? Oh, have you been listening to the show? We did. We spent about five minutes on Stephon Gilmore. Did you? But we didn't. <laughs> did you? But we didn't <laughs> ask that. This is definitely staying in. We did didn't ask that particular question. Where might we said that he might sell high, and and Ollie gave a very uh, clear and uh, insightful um, perspective on why uh, why Belichick might be uh, okay to move on. But uh, you can go back and listen to that when you're doing the edit, uh, <laughs> producer. Or, or, <laughs> A true producer knows you cannot sell like a video rollout without the destination. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Fair. Uh, destinations for Stefan Gilmore then. Yes. I, I think I think LA, either of the two teams, you've seen Jalen Ramsey try to get him. That would be the most elite unit Oof. obviously in the league. And as I mentioned before with Brandon Staley, wanting yeah, to right. run those coverages where they're really unique and it's like, well, we just lock one side of the field and then we zone the rest. That that is what Stefan Gilmore is built for. That's what they've done in New England where they run these really crazy what they call cone coverages, which is the defensive answer to the read option where you read everything. That is Stefan Gilmore's bag. Um, you get him to one of those teams in LA where they run all that funky stuff, and that is where he would go back to being one of the one of the premier corners in the league. Loving that. So yeah, either either just either landing spot there. You've piqued our interest on the Jalen Radsy tag team sure and really, really fascinating stuff on Staley and the Chargers. And uh for all those Raiders fans you disappointed uh Ollie during the show, the Chargers fans, they're saluting you. I can I can feel it all around the country, all around the world, frankly. Saluting uh your pro uh, Chargers position. It's been great to catch up with you, man. Always, always fascinating talking to you. Where can our listeners get more? Where can they read your stuff? Where should they be heading? Uh, Theguardian.com. That's the place. Simple. You should simple go for everything, ask. really, Matt, you know. That's true. Just to go, the, you're not going to get any, any disagreement from me on that at all. And of course, ESPN.com because mm-hmm. I've accompanied Matt, <laughs> the, the tag team uh, on Twitter uh, at Ollie Connolly, Ollie with an E, uh, Connolly. Uh, go and give Ollie uh, a follow. We'll push out uh, that handle across our social channels as well. You can count on that. Great to catch up with you, man. Are we going to get a song? Or are we going to save that for next time? We'll save that for next time. Let's te- tease people. Put that in the mailbag. What Love people that. want to hear. Requests. Like, yeah, Springs- requests. like a Springsteen gig. We'll hold up signs <laughs> and you can... I love it. We'll do that. Brilliant stuff, Ollie. Great to see you. Look after yourself, man. Always great. Thank you. Brilliant stuff from Molly. We're back next week with more. We're rolling through the off-season. We're going to start cranking up the frequency at some point as well. A ton of stories to get into. Some great guests lined up. Ollie, our producer, has informed me. We've got some very exciting guests coming your way over the coming weeks so stay peeled if you haven't already subscribed to us you know the drill by now whichever platform you're listening to if you got a spare 30 seconds go and leave us a nice review as well hey if nothing else it puts a big smile on ollie's face so there you go you've done a good deed for the day big thanks to ollie Connolly. he was great we're back next week we'll see you then bye for now gang Follow Baseball Nuts. Join us on the Johnny and Josh Show with my baseball brothers, where JC will endeavor to offer some insightful analysis. And my friend, Eric Jansen, will offer quirky baseball trivia. But we also have David Langell, who will combine a high level of inappropriateness with a low level of analysis. The Johnny and Josh Show, available to download wherever you listen to your podcasts. Podcast Network.